The first book, the first chapter, of Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ, by Lew Wallace. First Book, Chapter One. The Jebel S. Zuble is a mountain fifty miles and more in length, and so narrow that its tracery on the map gives it a likeness to a caterpillar crawling from the south to the north. Standing on its red and white cliffs, and looking off under the path of the rising sun, one sees only the desert of Arabia, where the east winds, so hateful to vine-growers of Jericho, have kept their playgrounds since the beginning. Its feet are well covered by sands tossed from the Euphrates, there to lie, for the mountain is a wall to the pasture-lands of Moab and Ammon to the west, lands which else had been of the desert apart. The Arab has impressed his language upon everything south and east of Judea, so, in his tongue, the old Jebel is the parent of numberless wadis which, intersecting the Roman road, now a dim suggestion of what once it was, a dusty path for Syrian pilgrims to and from Mecca, run their furrows, deepening as they go, to pass the torrents of the rainy season into the Jordan, or their last receptacle, the Dead Sea. Out of one of these wadis, or, more particularly, out of that one which rises at the extreme end of the Jebel, and extending east of north, becomes at length the bed of the Jabbok River. A traveller passed, going to the table-lands of the desert. To this person the attention of the reader is first besought. Judged by his appearance, he was quite forty-five years old. His beard, once of the deepest black, flowing broadly over his breast, was streaked with white. His face was brown as a parched coffee-berry, and so hidden by a red keffiyeh, as the kerchief of the head is at this day called by the children of the desert, as to be but in part visible. Now and then he raised his eyes, and they were large and black. He was clad in the flowing garments so universal in the East, but their style may not be described more particularly, for he sat under a miniature tent, and rode a great white dromedary. It may be doubted if the people of the West ever overcome the impression made upon them by the first view of a camel equipped and loaded for the desert. Custom, so fatal to other novelties, affects this feeling but little. At the end of long journeys with caravans, after years of residence with the Bedouin, the Western-born, wherever they may be, will stop and wait the passing of the stately brute. The charm is not in the figure— which not even love can make beautiful, nor in the movement, the noiseless stepping, or the broad careen. As is the kindness of the sea to a ship, so that of the desert to its creature. It clothes him with all its mysteries, in such manner, too, that while we are looking at him we are thinking of them, therein is the wonder. The animal which now came out of the wadi might well have claimed the customary homage, its colour and height, its breadth of foot, its bulk of body, not fat, but overlaid with muscle, its long, slender neck, of swan-like curvature, the head, 
wide between the eyes, and tapering to a muzzle which a lady's bracelet might have almost clasped, its motion, step long and elastic, tread sure and soundless, all certified its Syrian blood, old as the days of Cyrus, and absolutely priceless. There was the usual bridle, covering the forehead with scarlet fringe, and garnishing the throat with pendant brazen chains, each ending with a tinkling silver bell. But to the bridle there was neither rein for the rider, nor strap for a driver. The furniture perched on the back was an invention, which with any other people than of the East would have made the inventor renowned. It consisted of two wooden boxes, scarce four feet in length, balanced so that one hung at each side. The inner space, softly lined and carpeted, was arranged to allow the master to sit or lie half-reclined. Over it all was stretched a green awning. Broad back and breast-straps and girths, secured with countless knots and ties, held the device in place. In such manner the ingenious sons of Cush had contrived to make comfortable the sunburnt ways of the wilderness, along which lay their duty as often as their pleasure. When the dromedary lifted itself out of the last break of the wadi, the traveller had passed the boundary of El Belka, the ancient Ammon. It was morning-time. Before him was the sun, half-curtained in fleecy mist. Before him also spread the desert, not the realm of drifting sands which was farther on, but the region where the herbage began to dwarf, where the surface is strewn with boulders of granite, and grey and brown stones, interspersed with languishing acacias and tufts of camel-grass. The oak, bramble, and arbutus lay behind, as if they had come to a line, looked over into the well-less waste, and crouched with fear. And now there was an end of path or road. More than ever the camel seemed insensibly driven. It lengthened and quickened its pace. Its head pointed straight towards the horizon. Through the wide nostrils it drank the wind in great draughts. The litter swayed, and rose and fell like a boat in the waves. Dried leaves in occasional beds rustled underfoot. Sometimes a perfume like absinthe sweetened all the air. Lark and chat and rock-swallows leaped to wing, and white partridges ran whistling and clucking out of the way. More rarely, a fox or a hyena quickened his gallop, to study the intruders at a safe distance. Off to the right rose the hills of the Jebel, the pearl-gray veil resting upon them changing momentarily into a purple which the sun would make matchless a little later. Over their highest peaks a vulture sailed on broad wings into widening circles. But of all these things the tenant under the green tent saw nothing, or, at least, made no sign of recognition. His eyes were fixed and dreamy. The going of the man, like that of the animal, was as one being led. For two hours the dromedary swung forward, keeping the trot steadily and the line due east. In that time the traveller never changed his position, nor looked to the right or left. On the desert, distance is not measured by miles or leagues, but by the seat, or hour, and the manzi, or halt. Three and a half leagues fill the former, fifteen or twenty-five the latter, but they are the rates for the common camel. 
a carrier of the genuine Syrian stock can make three leagues easily. At full speed he overtakes the ordinary winds. As one of the results of the rapid advance, the face of the landscape underwent a change. The Jebel stretched along the western horizon like a pale blue ribbon. A tell, or hummock of clay and cemented sand, arose here and there. Now and then basaltic stones lifted their round crowns, outposts of the mountain against the forces of the plain. All else, however, was sand, sometimes smooth as the beaten beach, then heaped in rolling ridges, here chopped waves, there long swells. So, too, the condition of the atmosphere changed. The sun, high-risen, had drunk his fill of dew and mist, and warmed the breeze that kissed the wanderer under the awning. Far and near he was tinting the earth with faint milk-whiteness, and shimmering all the sky. The hours were passed without rest or deviation from the course. Vegetation entirely ceased. The sand, so crusted on the surface that it broke into rattling flakes at every step, held undisputed sway. The jebel was out of view, and there was no landmark visible. The shadow that before followed had now shifted to the north, and was keeping even race with the objects which cast it. And as there was no sign of halting, the conduct of the traveller became each moment more strange. No one, be it remembered, seeks the desert for a pleasure-ground. Life and business traverse it by paths along which the bones of things dead are strewn, as so many blazons. Such are the roads from well to well, from pasture to pasture. The heart of the most veteran sheikh beats quicker when he finds himself alone in the pathless tracks. So the man with whom we are dealing could not have been in search of pleasure. Neither was his manner that of a fugitive. Not once did he look behind him. In such situations fear and curiosity are the most common sensations. He was not moved by them. When men are lonely, they stoop to any companionship. The dog becomes a comrade, the horse a friend, and it is no shame to shower them with caresses and speeches of love. The camel received no such token, not a touch, not a word. Exactly at noon the dromedary, of its own will, stopped, and uttered the cry or moan, peculiarly piteous, by which its kind always protest against an overload, and sometimes crave attention and rest. The master thereupon bestirred himself, waking, as it were, from sleep. He threw the curtains of the howdah up, looked at the sun, surveyed the country on every side long and carefully, as if to identify an appointed place. Satisfied with the inspection, he drew a deep breath and nodded, much as to say, At last, at last. A moment after he crossed his hands upon his breast, bowed his head, and prayed silently. The pious duty done, he prepared to dismount. From his throat proceeded the sound heard doubtless by the favourite camels of Job, Ich, ich, the signal to kneel. Slowly the animal obeyed, grunting the while. The rider then put his foot upon the slender neck, and stepped upon the sand. End of chapter.